Hi, I'm Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore some dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten. Huge breaking news, I am done with my Canadian quarantine, finally. I don't know why I felt the need to say finally, because I honestly had the best time ever in seclusion. Like, all I did was eat nice food, watch my shows, plus I have a nice yard and was able to still enjoy the nice weather, so it was great. But regardless, I was really excited to actively explore my new city finally and all the surrounding areas as well. Up until now, I only spent, I think it was like two and a half weeks in Vancouver back at the end of 2017 to meet my husband's family and just for visiting sake in general. I loved it. Like I was, my mind was blown by how beautiful it was and all the food. But it's really exciting to be able to re-explore it as my new home rather than just somewhere I'm visiting. You know what I mean? The food here is just stellar and it's like the most beautiful city. Mary on Real Housewives of Vancouver wasn't kidding. It might be the most beautiful city in the world after all. Most restaurants are open here, but we're still erring on the side of caution and not dining in, despite that being our favorite shared hobby. The COVID situation is a lot different here than in America. British Columbia, which is the province I live in, um, has a startlingly low amount of COVID cases, at least compared to America. So it's kind of jarring to see people just like living their life like it's normal, although I can see why they'd be more emboldened to do so with um, how good the statistics are, but I'm still mentally in America, so I'm masked the fuck up. Since quarantine ended on Wednesday, basically Aaron's just been driving us around to different, like, beautiful lookout points to smoke marijuana and listen to music. At one point during our drive, he also lovingly told me, I'm taking you to Penn Badgley, and then drove me to the school from John Tucker Must Die because he just refers to that film as Penn Badgley, and honestly, it was romantic as fuck. Most generously on one of these rides, he introduced me to the initial D soundtrack, and I can safely say it's the only kind of music I ever want to listen to again. Overall, I've just been consistently blown away by the beauty in Vancouver and all of the surrounding suburbs and how like pedestrian-friendly it is. There are so many pretty trails with flowers, blackberries, and animals I've never even seen IRL. Like we were just straight up chilling with an owl the other night. I do have to say I'm sort of scared of bears, even though I do consider them cute little icons, because seemingly in the suburbs, they're just like living, laughing, and loving among us people. So I hope I don't get eaten by a bear, although I would love to see one from afar. 
On these trails I've described, I've done some hiking, which I highly prefer to the treadmill. So that's one thing I'm happy to be rid of in my quarantine experience. I realized I really don't like walking on the treadmill. But as a result of this hiking, my muscles are just annihilated because I'm not accustomed to literal mountain incline. I feel like Massachusetts is like pretty flat. I don't know if that's factually true, but everywhere I've ever lived in Massachusetts, it feels like arduous incline to just go up a hill. So a mountain is a new undertaking, but it's a welcome one. There's this one trail in the suburbs that's called The Crunch, and I can safely say that I got crunched the fuck up. It wasn't for nothing, because I was able to pet a dog for the first time in weeks, which was really healing, and her name is Frankie. I think she was some sort of miniature poodle mix, but she was an angel, and meeting her did a lot for me. The beauty of Vancouver and all the surrounding areas don't just extend to nature because the snack situation is pretty fucked. So my husband, Aaron's hometown, is a suburb that's just outside of Vancouver. And as someone who was raised in the suburbs, I consider suburbs to be analogous with everything that's shitty. This is a very much not the case here, however... And I leave every supermarket or convenience store with my head spinning and ready to fully explode. Let's go back to basics of this podcast and quickly review some snacks before moving on. So, the popcorn chicken and taro Oreo slush from Bubble World. Bubble World is a chain that has pretty hit or miss food overall, But since the first time I came here a few years ago, I've always loved their Taiwanese-style popcorn chicken a lot. The taste isn't too dissimilar to, like, Chinese salt and pepper style, but it's even more garlicky and concentrated in flavor. So that was my first freedom snack, and I washed that down with the aforementioned slush. It's exactly what it sounds like, just a milky taro Oreo slush, but it has serious Oreo chunks, not just Oreo crumbs, which I feel is a critical distinction. And if anyone's curious, Erin got the milky mango ice cream slush, which is also good. I'm still trying to avoid dairy, but I did what I had to do, and I took lactase pills accordingly. So now it's time to talk about chips, and there are three that I have to discuss. The best of all was Lay's Grilled Eel Flavor. These were just astounding, and the food chemists behind that flavor deserve a Nobel Peace Prize. I figured they would taste good, but not much like their purported flavor, but I was wrong. Super strong and accurate grilled eel flavor, and we just killed the bag with a quickness. When we were at the store, TNT Supermarket specifically, which fucks, I love TNT, we also saw a lactobacillus soda flavored Lay's, so basically like Yakult's. And although that was perplexing, we were intrigued, but 
maybe for another day. I just can't report back quite yet. We also tried the Korean fondue flavored Doritos, which were less of resounding applause, but still a very fun time. At the start, they taste like Cool Ranch Doritos, and I'm not a fan of ranch, period. So that was an off-putting way to start the bite, but it develops into a completely different rich and sort of sweet cheese flavor. It's very unique and it is good once it transforms into that. As long as you keep inhaling them, just like I did, that flavor remains and the mysterious ranch taste disappears. They were really interesting and fun to eat, so I think I would get them again but not necessarily go out of my way. Whereas I would do bad things to good people to eat those Lay's grilled eel chips again. Rerouting from TNT Asian supermarket to just a good old gas station, I have more thoughts on chips and an enthusiastic Slurpee endorsement. So I've always been a fan of Ruffles all-dressed chips, but I just discovered what a diluted all-dressed experience that actually was. Apparently, Old Dutch brand is the wave in Canada, and somehow I'd never had them, even though I've come to Canada several times over the past five years. But I can see why they're the wave based on how good they're all dressed is. I can't recommend enough if you're an all dressed head. I also tried their maple, maple, oh wow, their maple black garlic kettle chips which tasted perfectly lovely but didn't really taste like what it claimed and rather just came off as a very light but tasty BBQ chip. Since it was such a non-event, that's why I only referred to three chips I'd be discussing, even though it's technically four. Another Canadian gas station gem are the Mango Sour Patch Kids. I'm So I'm way more of like a chocolate candy person over sour or gummy, But as you may remember, I, in the past year, have just experienced a renaissance of sorts, and now I'm into sour and gummy. I love the, like, watermelon Sour Patch Kids and the strawberry ones, but the mango, oh wow. I know I shouldn't discuss my sexual interest with you because it's not that kind of podcast, but she is it. Even more excitingly, there's a Mango Sour Patch Slurpee at Circle K gas station, and that did everything I needed and more. I got brain freeze aggressively and several times because I was chugging it due to my obsession. So to conclude the snack news, I also had cinnamon sugar mini donuts from a food truck but they also had a Carolina Reaper flavor that I would have liked to try. Aaron picked them up for me when he went skateboarding with his friends, which was wild because we've basically been together 24-7 since the start of the pandemic and haven't really seen anyone else. So I treated myself by watching a two-hour IG live with Adrian Curry and Shannon Stewart from Cycle 1 of ANTM. America's Next Top Model, for those not in the know. I definitely recommend it to all ANTM fans, because they really spill a lot that I was never privy to, despite being a longtime ANTM head. 
But with that recommendation, I also need to note that I was incredibly put off during several points between some rape jokes from Adrian, weird comments about Robin's hair, and defending Shannon for her seemingly positive posts about Donald Trump. The rape jokes were at Terry Richardson's expense, who I do feel deserves the death penalty, but it was gross. For what it's worth, I think that Adrian is still kind of a 2001 edgelord, despite being either in her 40s or close to it, which isn't an excuse, but that's why I wasn't terribly surprised. I did love her on ANTM and the Surreal Life at the time, but I just couldn't help but eye roll. The upside of Shannon basically being deified by Adrian the whole time in the accompanying Trump talk is that an amazing picture was brought to my attention. I posted it on my story yesterday, I think, but I might post it on my feed for real because I'm just obsessed with the image. So Shannon posed with Donald and Melania at some event. But one Jay Alexander is clearly visible in the background looking directly at the camera with a face of abject disgust. I just Google Shannon Stewart Donald Trump and it should be the first or second one that comes up. I can't stop thinking about it. Like I said, it is two hours long so there's a lot to unpack. One thing I found pretty mind-blowing is the origin story of Adrian's food poisoning that we saw on the show. So even from what they showed, the handling of that was preposterous, with Adrian being told she'll be eliminated for getting medical care if she's not present during elimination. And then when she like yanked an IV out of her arm and hobbled to elimination to avoid that fate, The judges blamed her for not taking care of herself. The way that they would deal with girls going through medical stuff on that show was bonkers, but so were a lot of other things on that show, but that's a different episode. Um, Anyhow, what we didn't see is how they often wouldn't have food during photo shoots and the girls would just literally be starved. During the commercial they did for those colored contacts, which, by the way, now that I said it, I'll just have the phrase, color is excitement, stuck in my head all day. But apparently at that shoot, there was actually catering, and Adrian was so hungry because she's just consistently being starved and being deprived of sleep on top of that. She just started inhaling all the chicken that was on the table. As Elise pointed out that it was bloody, and upon further inspection, Adrian said it was bloody and it was literally raw. Shockingly, she somehow wound up in the hospital after eating fistfuls of raw chicken and was blamed for being served raw chicken. So I thought that was very interesting. There, As I said, there are a lot of I think never before uttered revelations that come up. So I recommend it was on YouTube. I didn't actually tune in live. I also decided to indulge in some Bad Girls Club season five. And I don't have any deep thoughts about it so far because I just left off at the start of their trip to Jamaica. Except to say that I can't stand 
Erica, Danielle, or Kaylee, and I'm obsessed with Brandy. Honestly, all the girls are pretty unlikable so far in some way besides Brandy. I can't get a good read on Katya because we don't really see much from her, but she's extremely beautiful. I would like to learn more about her and I want to like her. It's definitely worth noting that Bad Girls Club is problematic as fuck for so many reasons, including but not limited to the racialized coded language that's woven into the show's dialect. But I just want to say the amount of lesbian sexual encounters are iconic. That's truly all I have to say right now about the subject, but I figured I'd mention it because... You guys are the ones who I consulted in the first place about Bad Girls Club specifically, and most of you said watch season five, so that's what I'm doing. I'll report back if I have any more thoughts. Now let's talk about a show that I have much more to say about. Real Housewives of Vancouver season one, episode three, titled She Should Have Kept Her Clothes On. These women continue to horrify and delight me. As you may remember, last week, Christina ended the episode by stripping down to a v-neck t-shirt, underwear, and heels while dancing around at her 30th birthday party. So we pick back up this week with her recovering in bed, which reminds me why I'm never drinking again. No judgment against her. I just, when I saw her and the way that she looked... That felt all too real, and I'm glad that I never have to experience that again. Much to my chagrin, she kisses her dog Napoleon on the mouth, which I really hate, but I love him, and I think he's a legend. You guys know I love dogs, and I love kissing them on their little foreheads, their cheeks, or even their noses, which I know that last one might be controversial. But I just can't when people let their dogs lick their mouths. I won't hold it against her for now, even though later in the episode, we see her kissing a horse on the mouth. Merlin the horse comes later on, but I'll just get it out of the way now since it's not relevant to the plot. We see Christina and her gay best friend going horse shopping, and Christina states that $35,000 on a horse is money well spent, especially when it's not her money. I love that. She is obsessed with Merlin, and again, unfortunately, kisses him on the mouth just like she did to baby Napoleon. Not thrilled. Switching gears to Jody, she is just disgusted with Christina because of her half-naked display and not because of her kissing animals on the mouth. She wasn't even present during that part of the party, but it doesn't change how upset she is about it. She and Reiko are getting whale sperm facials, and she of course makes a weird comment about how Reiko is used to come on her face. She's such a villainous and unpleasant little woman, even with her supposed friends. She also claims that her monthly facials make her look 12 years old, which is a bold claim. If you're unaware, her chronological age is 48. 
that short little interlude is followed with another, but this one is much weirder and more compelling for me. Mary apparently has a passion for scarves, so she and her friend Wendy have a scarf line together. She says my favorite quote of the week, which is, no one should live or die without a great scarf. That's our motto. And what a great motto that is. She's invited Ronnie to come check out her passion project since they're best friends, and she shows up already wasted. Ronnie also immediately spots bottles of Chardonnay in the scarf studio and helps herself, which is important to remember for later. As expected, she's just super drunk and acts the part with a layer of like being flippant on top of it. She does repeatedly say in her confessionals that she hates scarf and scarves and doesn't wear them, which made me lol. Mary's upset at Ronnie's antics and overall insincerity, and so is her normie friend Wendy, who's like clenched teeth emoji and is like, I have to leave to buy a puppy. Speaking of puppies, there has been no mention of little George who Mary had last week, so TBD if my suspicions were correct or not. Again, I hope that she's a great pet parent and George is having a great life. Yorkies can live a pretty long time. I actually met an 18-year-old Yorkie once, so I hope that George is still kicking and keeping Mary company. So after all of that, we have a solo scene with Ronnie at her home another day, and she's creepily showing her teenage sons the photos of Christina dancing around in her underwear, and she smugly announces she's going to send them around. One of her sons rightfully asks if Christina would mind that those photos are being circulated. And she says in the most bone chilling manner, if someone was worried for those photos to circulate, they simply wouldn't have taken them. It already seemed clear in the last episode, but if there was any doubt, we now know that Ronnie is obsessed with bullying Christina, just like her good pal, Jody. Honestly, seeing what Christina and Mary are enduring makes me understand the systematic bullying that Kelly Ben Simone described in the Roni season three reunion. We cut to one of Reiko's only solo scenes, which starts with her reacting to said photos of Christina on her Blackberry screen. I don't even like socializing much, period, let alone going to parties, so I don't think I'd ever be in an environment where I'd dance around in anything, let alone my underwear. However, I don't understand why these women are so scandalized and acting like Christina put on a bukkake performance. Reiko's just SMHing about the matter, but she's definitely not going as hard as Ronnie and Jody. We had to learn a little more about Reiko when we see her train at the gym, which I did enjoy. She is training for a mixed martial arts competition, which is super cool, and her trainer was even saying that he could see her competing with elite athletes and winning. I don't know if this counts as a spoiler since it happened after the show, but I just have to share because I found out and was excited. Reiko has since come out as a lesbian after the show ended, and I love that. Iconically, she consults with her Botox injector after training to ensure that 
MMA injuries wouldn't fuck up her work, and it won't. He says the coast is clear. I also enjoyed learning the method to her madness Botox-wise, as she's adamant about preserving the integrity of her forehead frown lines in case she needs to look stern. We get to see Ronnie's workout later in the episode as well, and she says that her trainer Stanley used to be a bodyguard for the Queen of England. TBD on the accuracy of that statement, but he does have an English accent, and that's all the proof that I personally needed. I don't know if this is normal or not, because I've never worked with a personal trainer, and maybe I'm just being judgmental. But instead of drinking from a water bottle herself, she has Stanley intermittently pour water in her mouth, like, fairly sensually. She also tells us that Stanley works her out so hard that she's on serious muscle relaxants, which is worrying to say the least given what we know and what we've seen. Elsewhere, Jody's catering company is being remodeled by two contractors who are both named Mo. She and her daughter Mia are lolling over their blackberries about the Christina pictures, again, just acting as though she sprung a bukkake performance on them without warning. We later see she and Mia at Cactus Club again, which just cracks me up since Jody is such a snob and supposed like purveyor of fine foods. Again, no hate to Cactus Club because I will enjoy some truffle fries happily. But overall, I would just say it's kind of overpriced average food. So it's funny to me that Jody of all people is filming there. Mia's wearing a really horrible outfit, which consists of a graphic tee and a maxi skirt, all while drinking some sort of milky chocolate cocktail. She informs Jody that she has to go to London for one day to fix something with her apartment which to me is a statement that frankly raises more questions than answers. Jody freaks out because they are a team and she needs Mia for this renovation, supposedly. At this point, Jody starts speaking in a hoarse voice that was not present before and says she needs her because she's been run ragged and has even lost her voice due to the renovation. These are multiple scenes that I'm just condensing into one, But later, Jody calls the airline pretending to be Mia and cancels her ticket. At this point, I'd like to remind you that Mia is 24 years old, in case you may have forgot. This is out of order, but we also see Reiko and Jody visit Ronnie's absolutely bonkers home. It's gigantic to begin with, but she also evidently has several side-by-side waterfront properties and she plans to tear them down and condense them into one massive property. She wants the girls to see her home before the construction commences. This is mostly just another, like, setting for them to talk shit about Christina, but that's led primarily by Jody and Ronnie, because Reiko is way more impressed with, like, Ronnie's dojo and her husband's man cave. I don't know Ronnie's current 2020 situation, but I asked Aaron if we can go see her house, and he said yes, so I'll report back. 
The two underdogs, Mary and Christina, have an outdoor lunch date, and it's very fairly uneventful, but still important. In her confessional, Mary acknowledges that Christina has a bit of a reputation regarding promiscuity, and she alludes to Christina having some sort of problem with Jody's daughter, Mia. She says this in the same statement, so that's very important to remember, although we will take a while to come full circle on that. Besides that, it was pretty nothing besides Mary discussing Scarfgate, but I'm glad that both of them have at least one cast member who's kind to them. Regarding Scarfgate, Ronnie is apparently upset with Mary for not stopping her from drinking, and this is a consistent pattern in their friendship. It's even revealed at this point that they've gone several years without speaking in the past. Another lunch or dinner, I'm not really sure what meal it is, that is both more eventful and more sinister is taking place elsewhere between Jody and Ronnie. Jody says in her confessional that she has all the time in the world for Ronnie and she likes her a lot and that they're similar because they both annihilate people. They both just talk shit about Christina and Mary the whole time. Big surprise. Christina's behavior at the party is just discussed ad nauseum with Jody taking taking frequent shots at Christina's looks. She goes out of her way to say that Christina looks a lot better with her clothes on than off, which to me seems pretty transparently jealous because Christina literally just has a rocking body and she looked good, point blank. She and Ronnie are creepily saying how it's their duty as women to help her and guide her. Jody has vowed to set her straight, which we'll see later. Ronnie also brings up the Mary feud and is rolling her eyes at how Mary told her to take responsibility for herself. Ronnie then responded by texting Mary that she is absolutely pathetic and that's why she's single at 48. Also in her confessional, Jody compares Mary to her ex-husband and says that Mary's just a bad husband that Ronnie needs to be rid of. As promised, we see Jody trying to set Christina straight. She shows up in house slippers and just starts going in on Christina and how disgusting she is, essentially. During the few seconds before this evisceration, Christina tells Jody that she looks pretty, and Jody just scoffs at the compliment to say, No, I don't. I hate when people do that, by the way. I'm not talking about people who are being sincere. Like, there are so many times when I've received a compliment and I'm like, thank you. I definitely don't feel like it, but that makes me feel good. But when people manipulate a compliment as an opportunity to paint the compliment giver as dumb or insincere, it's so irritating. And that's clearly what Jody's doing. Anyway, Jody just starts going in for the kill. But notably, Christina says something about how Mia loves to party too, which causes Jody to fly into her rage and say she will sue Christina's ass if she ever mentions Mia. And she also says Mia is not a disbehaved child. She's absolutely right that Mia is not a 
disbehaved or is disbehaved even a word or is that a jodyism anyhow she's correct that she's not a disbehaved or misbehaved child because she just isn't a child at all and in fact is a 24 year old woman we don't get to hear anything more about mia because jody rages so hard but this situation between mia and christina that's been alluded to continues to be foreshadowed in every episode so far. Jody then screams at Christina that she's not her enemy, even though all she does is insult her needlessly, which basically was the purpose of this entire outing. Jody storms off while Christina just kind of sits there crying, although she does tell Jody, I hate your fucking slippers, by the way, and I enjoyed that. In her confessional, Christine is just really upset at herself for allowing Jody to make her feel so small. That's where the episode ends, and that's where this episode of Real Housewives of Neopia ends as well. I really hope that you've been enjoying these Real Housewives of Vancouver recaps, because it's been a really fun change of pace for me. I hope you all have an amazing week and I'll try to do the same, but as always, I look forward to talking with you again very soon. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Botox Groupon, B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N, or the pod on Instagram at Real Housewives of Neopia. Love you guys. Watch Real Housewives of Potomac Season 5. Bye!